I just want to recover some of these scriptures that we started with last week. Uh, just deal with the reality that challenges and setbacks, uh, adversity in this world, you're going to experience some things because you don't live in a bubble. And if you are taught that to accept Jesus, develop faith, and then you're somehow protected from the assignment of the enemy, uh, the things of this life, you weren't taught faith correctly. Now, if you've been around here, you've been taught these things, but you know, I can't control all the other inputs that you have or the things you grew up listening to or learning. And I can tell you this, unlearning some things can be very, very difficult. At times it's almost better that you had no training at all than to have to overcome things that were incorrect. So what faith does though is it gives you the victory no matter what the devil throws at you. And so the ultimate victory of course is gonna come at that resurrection time, at rapture time, but until then you're gonna to have to learn that you're gonna take some hits, but you're gonna to have to pull yourself and just you know, put yourself back up after you go down in that boxing ring. And how many have been hit a time or two in life? Okay. Uh, what happens if you just lay down? You die. What if you throw the white towel in? You're done, you're over. So resilience is about learning how to take a punch. Look at somebody and say, how to take a punch? And keep on going again. Uh, some of you are too young to, to know this because you're a millennials or whatever, but there used to be an advertisement for the Energizer Bunny. Oh, yeah. And it keeps what? Going. going and going and going. And if you're as old as Charlie, you remember the Timex commercials. Yes. Back before they were digital. It takes a what? Come on, say it with me. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Now, how's that for an effective advertisement? Here we are, 2022, still talking about that company. Um, there was a Swiss company who thought, well, nobody would ever want anything but a normal mechanism on a watch. They'd never want anything that was digital. That was until Texas Instruments came out. <laughs> and that's what you call paradigm paralysis, where you can't see something moving forward you know, in life and adjust to it. Well, um, you're going to take some hits. And Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have what? I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. Then Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The opposite of this is not taking heart, of course, but losing heart or having a faint heart because of the things that you've gone through. Psalm 34, 19 is a great scripture for you to memorize. I'm reading this to you from the ESV. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but what happens? But the Lord delivers him out of them all. So if you're taught, get saved, have faith, then nothing's coming at you, um, that's inaccurate. The reality is, if you do get saved, you become a target. And if you don't believe that right now, just look at all the nonsense going on nationally. Uh, don't think this is a war of policy or politics or even about issues like abortion. This is a spiritual war going on. And the foundation of that uh, is, of course, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good news for you and for me is that even though there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, what has God promised us? So the implication is if he steals from you, he has to pay back. Amen? Whatever he's doing, you have the promise of overcoming that with a thing called life or abundant life. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. What? even our faith or even our believing God. So how do we overcome what's thrown at us? Our faith. First of all, our faith in Christ, and of course our faith developed through the Holy Scriptures. So if you didn't get this, write this down. Resilient means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. 
able to recoil or spring back into shape after being bent out of shape. Have you ever been bent out of shape? Uh, stretching or being compressed. And so when you're resent, you bounce back. You snap out of it. You come back to it. And I've watched, been in this long enough, and you have too, to see people take hits and they don't bounce back. They don't spring back. They become belligerent. They become antagonistic with things of God. The uh, famous catchword right now are people showing you how to deconstruct your faith as if it's somehow poisonous. No, all they're doing is apostatizing and putting little flowery language around it to make it look like something that's actually reasonable. Listen, you, you deconstruct your faith, you reject Christ, you reject His Word, you're in a world of trouble. This idea that I'm going to go to hell and have a party with all my friends and the devil's going to be the biggest party animal. Listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. I saw this on Facebook and it was excellent. The devil is just another inmate. He's not the warden. And so you think you're going to have a party there. Uh, you're mistaken. He's going to be on supreme lockdown one day. You talk about 24-hour day lockdown in Marion, you know, federal. Forget that. Uh, he's never, there's going to come a time where he's never getting out and those that serve him. So aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Yes. Say again, I'm saved. I'm saved. And I'm glad about it. Uh, it's like Peter said, to whom shall you go? Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the thousands left him. Say the thousands. And he looked at his own disciples and what did he say? You gonna leave too? And Peter, one of his stellar moments said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So you deconstruct your faith, where are you gonna go? You're gonna go to Buddha? You're gonna go to Muhammad? You're gonna go to Joseph Smith? Is that what you're gonna do? No, uh, there's only one thing going to happen if you deconstruct your faith, is you're going to end up denouncing the one that bought you and saved you, and there's no remedy for that. So, you know, it's, it's been in my spirit, and I don't know what the Lord will ultimately do with it, but uh, I want to see people be able to take whatever hits they're, they're, they're given to them and then bounce back and be victorious in this life. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to have longevity. But I'm telling you, um, after watching people for many, many years, I see people become a shell of themselves. I see them, they still believe the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, but they're not walking in victory, not walking in peace, not overcoming things. They're not contributing. You know, they're not advancing the gospel or participating in the redemptive process of God. Somewhere along the line, they took one hit too many. And I see a lot of people in ministry doing the same thing. Uh, right now, about 1,600 senior pastors leave the ministry in this country every single month. Wow. Uh, now, we're not talking about a guy who just got out of seminary. I went to school with some of those people who racked up big bills and never did enter a ministry because their first part-time experience was a terrible one. But you have people now in the seasoning of their ministry where they should be bearing the most fruit, they're leaving. So what's happening is this whole issue of resiliency has not been developed enough in our thinking. We've not applied the Word of God. And it's not just somebody in ministry. You know, God needs the parents to be resilient. And He needs the business owners to be resilient. He needs the people that will fight. Like this you know, football coach was fired because he dared to kneel down on the 50-yard line and pray. He didn't ask anybody to pray with him. He didn't put any pressure on anybody. All he did was pray. And Neil Gorsuch uh, wrote a, a brilliant you know, uh, opinion about this, basically saying that on school time, and officially that was part of school time because it was a sanctioned event. And they said on school time, people are talking about their gardens and emailing about their parties and what they're gonna do on the weekend, and that's all fine. But he kneels to pray privately and they dismiss him. Well, God helped that school district because now they have back pay, yeah. 
interest and punitive damages to pay because they tried to deny him his rights. And that's what I mean by resilient. You fight. You don't just roll over and die. Well, it's your spiritual walk or it's, it's your ministry or what it is. When you know that you're right about something, you stand. Having done all to stand, what do you do? You stand. And the Lord just showed this to me years ago. Everybody say, I'm resilient. It's great if you're born again, but we need to be born again and resilient. If somebody can slap you across the you know, face spiritually, you're just going to get up again. You're going to keep on going and doing what God's called you to do. But uh, you know, the Lord showed me this, that uh, in Florida, for example, they don't build roof structures the same way they do in Colorado Springs. Anybody know why? <laughs> because if you do, you're going to be able to make a snowman in your front room, amen, in Colorado, because it can't handle, you know, a roof line that's built that way, can't handle all the pressure then. Sometimes you're talking about six, eight, 10, 12 feet of snow before you can get it off of there. And it's got to be able to sustain that. Now, the, the you know, the, the common thinking, and even in this case, the carnal thinking would be to say, well, it's the snow that caused the roof to collapse. But that's not true. It's not the snow that caused the, the roof to collapse. What caused the roof to collapse? The structure was not appropriate for the environment that it was in. And Lord showed me another illustration that, uh, you know, in life, imagine that you've got this, this cylinder made out of aluminum and you put it on a tray and you just stick a, blow up a balloon, you know, and stick it in the bottom of that cylinder. And every day somebody comes by and throws their, their spare change, you know, on top of your balloon in that cylinder. You know, for a few weeks or months, no big deal, right? <laughs> but all of a sudden, after about a year or two, there's a layer of coinage right sitting on top of that and the pressure is coming down on top of that thing and it just keeps building and building and building and all of a sudden one day somebody just kind of innocently says something stupid and throws their two cents in and what happens Ouch. pop did that person cause that no, no. no what happened was the structure underneath was not sufficient to push back and deal with the pressure and that's what we mean by resiliency, and it's not just people in full-time equipping ministry that need this. People are dropping like flies across the body of Christ. I mean, all that all that took for a lot of people to drop out of the body of Christ was COVID. Does that sound like resiliency to you? No. And then the devil's thinking, well, if I'd known that would work so well, I'd tried that a long time ago. Uh, but how many you're not going to buy it? You're not going to drop out of your call of God because of something that's happening historically in the body of Christ or in this world, you and I, you know, we need to take, be able to take a, a, be, a better punch than that. Yes. And it's, it's not just located to a certain region, it's across the country and even across, uh, you know, places like in Australia and Western Europe who already was suffering from a resiliency issue. You can go to Europe and you can see these cathedrals and they're absolutely gorgeous. Uh, when I saw in Hamburg, Germany, the entire back overlay behind the altar was gold. We're talking millions of dollars just to build that part of it. And on Sunday morning, five, six, ten people inside the building. That may hold two, three thousand people. It literally takes the, 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 the foundation. Thank God they have a, a foundation to, to help support those. They also have historical support, especially after the war, um, to keep those and maintain those. But you can see that something's wrong in the, in the German mindset in terms of resiliency. Now, it's strongly Catholic and strongly Lutheran. But uh, how many believe they're in, they're in due season for a Holy Ghost revival over there? Something powerful. Whether they use those buildings ever again or not, it's immaterial. 
But somebody comes along and you're just minding your own business, you're already under pressure, and then boom, they throw a couple quarters on top of that thing, and what happens? Pop, everything flies, and you're upset flying off the handle, and all of a sudden the, the structure underneath is collapsed, and you know, you begin to react in a way that's less than resilient or consistent with Scripture. Um, write this word down, implosion. Implosion is an instance of something collapsing violently inward. And it, uh, it usually refers to something instantaneously collapsing inward. Um, Christians ultimately do not implode from external pressures, adversity, and attacks. It could be a life event, a life change, a loss in life kind of a thing. And typically we say, well, that's what happened. This is why that person imploded. No, they didn't implode because of a life event. There was something going on before the life event took place. There was something that was not right before they went through that particular season. And that doesn't mean that you and I don't go through tough times and it's hard to understand them. It's just saying that, that we can't wait until the storm to start building the house. You can't go out there when it's you know, avalanche conditions and start supporting your structure in Colorado. You better have done that when. And we can't go around saying, well, that's surprising that happened, you know, but the Lord told us plainly over and over again, in this world you will have what? So the wise person does what? They do whatever they can do to support that structure and build that structure on a daily basis to keep themselves from imploding from the pressure that is inevitably going to come. Look at somebody and tell them, you're not special. The pressure will come. I want to go to a pressure-free church. Not going to happen. I want to go to a pressure-free job. Not going to happen. I want to be in a pressure-free family. Are you dreaming? <laughs> there is no pressure-free anything. So the choice is to let the pressure nail you or do what? Or you develop the necessary structure to deal with this rather than imploding. Um, the implosion, watch this, seems instant. But in reality, guess what? It's been weakening over a long, long time. It just, boom, it happened. Well, that, that must have happened. How terrible. No, the structure was compromised a long time ago. I mean, I remember about a year ago on June 24, 2021 at the Champlain uh, condo in uh, Miami, Florida. That half, half of the condo just completely collapsed. Nine gate people were killed. And people don't understand why that happens. What happens is you use a technique involving reinforced concrete with rebarb and steel. And what happens when that salt air comes in over time, it actually destabilizes and corrodes the rebarb and the steel that's actually reinforcing the concrete. And next door, they were involved in a, con in a construction project of another condo, enough to just jar the ground a little bit. Now, under normal conditions, there would be no problem with it. But what happened? 1.30 in the morning. This did not happen the night before. This destabilizing of the structure didn't happen, you know, just the week before. It had been going over on for some time, and that's why they're supposed to inspect these things, they're supposed to look at the things. They found out that uh, when you went down into the pool house and the structure underneath where the pool is, there were, there were lots of warning signs of the corrosion that actually took the building down. Now, uh, who wants to be involved in that lawsuit, you know? Uh, but the point is, it imploded, and look, oh, that's terrible. Look what instantly happened there. That's not the case at all. This had been going on for a long time. And if you implode, if you do not develop and keep 
a, a spirit of resilience about you. It's not going to be something that takes you out overnight. No. You know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. No. There's no such thing as an overnight failure either. No. There's no such thing as, well, look, at that, that must have been horrible. It must have been so big they imploded. Now, the Christian has the ability to build himself up or herself up in such a way that when the things come at you, you're able to be sustained and you're able to be victorious. So what's going on inside of you right now is going to determine whether when the next hit comes, you stand or you fall. You rise or you are actually defeated. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 11. And if anybody should have imploded should have quit, should have walked away in the New Testament, I would think that would be Paul. We talked about Joseph in the Old Testament. And you say, well, Saul, you know, Paul, Saul, he deserved it after all he did. Well, you can say that, but then again, does anybody really deserve what he went through? No. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll pick this up about uh, verse 23, and he's basically telling the Corinthians to, to knock off their arrogance, you know, and stop dismissing the people that actually established you, and uh, people are bragging about their suffering and bragging about what they've done, and Paul's just simply saying, let me tell you about the church father here over this particular church at Corinth. As they are, uh, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I worked much harder and been in prison more frequently more than once? Yes, multiple times he was thrown in jail for what? Now how many people would walk away from a preacher who had been in jail multiple times? If you don't believe that, go to Canada. We've had many of our pastors jail for doing nothing more than what I'm doing right now during the COVID season. Absolutely. And you think, that how could that possibly be going on in Canada? Because they have a socialist government. And they believe that the government should control the behavior of the people to the extent that people now are accepting that. Um, he says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Uh, you probably learned a little bit about what that's like. No man typically survives that punishment. And yet he survived it repeatedly. Three times I was beaten with rods. That sounds fun. Once I was stoned. And how many know they thought he was dead at that time? Uh, or if he was dead, guess what? The Lord brought him back to life. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not just the one. Three times shipwrecked. Which means he lost and they lost everything three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That sounds like fun. Here, sharky, sharky, sharky. Uh, must have been all of a sudden the, mo the sound from Jaws came. Da -da, da -da. <laughs> I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and told, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, besides everything else. On top of all that, I face daily the pressure, everybody say pressure, pressure. of my concern for all the churches, who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I don't inwardly burn. In other words, this guy had been through enough that would take the average bear out. Um, just like Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, I know a lot of people that would not be singing praises to God. They'd be, they'd be bellyaching. We served you. You told us to come here. <laughs> How come you're not blessing what we're doing? 
Is this the reward for our faithfulness, prison? And yet that's not what they did. Amen. Why? Because there was something on the inside of them that was supporting them. From the inside out, there was that spirit, you know, that, that uh, supports and strengthens and sustains them rather than causes them to implode. And yet Paul says this. This is the most amazing statement in Acts 20, 24. He said, yet none of these things move me. He was telling the brethren, the Ephesian brothers, I'm going to where I'm supposed to go. And they said, we know what's going to happen when you go there. And he told them, I've been told by the Spirit of God what's going to happen when I get there. Chains await me. Basically, abuse awaits me. But he goes, compelled by the love of God, by the Spirit of God. And he says these words, none of these things move me. Make that the story in the line of your life. Say it would be, none of these things move me. No attack, no failure, no circumstance, no loss, no misunderstanding, no persecution, you know, no oppression of the devil lying to you. None of these things are going to move you from what? He was talking about moving me off the path that I'm called to, to go into. I'm, I'm supposed to do this, and nothing's going to move me from what God's assigned me to do. I mean, you know, he, he's a rare bird indeed. Something real was working on the inside of him, and he stood. Notice this. Um, I believe he was supported by, by some knowledge deep down inside that he had, and you and I have the same access to the same knowledge. Say this with me. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Say it again. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 let this minister to you. First of all, he knew Jesus is spread when the church is spread. He was committed to planting churches everywhere he went. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he told the Corinthians, you are the body of Christ. You literally are the dwelling place of God. Second of all, he knew his time was limited. Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, there's not much time left. James 4, 14 compares our life to a mist or a vapor. He understood that time was limited. What we do, we need to do and do quickly. Uh, nobody in this room is going to be here forever. Does that make sense? In your present form. Either it raptures you or you go by the way of the grave. Whatever it is, your actual time on earth, and that course is between you and the Lord. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You believe the scripture, I mean, with long life he'll satisfy you and then show you his salvation. But no matter how long that is, Right? Even Methuselah had a termination date. Yes. Moses had a, day, a death date. Amen? We often talk about this. It's not the date you're born or the date you die. It's the dash between that matters. Yes. And what are you doing with that dash? Yes. How much of that is spent advancing the kingdom of God? Well, he understood that. And he was like on a mission, but he also seemed like he was in a hurry. I've got to get this done. I've got a little bit of time, and I'm going to be gone, and this needs to be accomplished in my life. Third, he knew the consequences were eternal. The hell is real. And the same people that are lambasting the church over its beliefs regarding abortion, the latest thing is they're calling us, all we care about is the birth of the baby. They're saying the church doesn't care about helping the mother after the baby's born. That's hogwash. Where have they been for the past 40, 50 years in this nation where we have gone overboard in every community that I've ever lived in with aggressive efforts to support people who chose to keep their babies? Not only that, 
Red legislatures like the one in Kentucky pushing for advanced support for ladies that find themselves in that situation and don't have support from family or a husband. They have programs, they have daycare, they have job training. It's amazing what was here now that wasn't here even 20, 30 years ago. The church has excelled in supporting people in, in a broken home or in a single parent situation like with a mother. So that's just a, a bomb they're throwing out there. We're not just pro-birth, we're pro-life from when? from conception all the way to death. And guess what, because we're Christians, we concern ourselves not with conception to death, but conception to after death. Because no one dies once they're born. They live forever somewhere. Say it with me, somewhere. So he knows it's, it's eternal. Uh, why, why am I bringing this up? Because you begin to understand that to, I don't have time to implode. I can't just sit on a shelf for five, ten years, you know, licking my wounds and sucking my thumb. <laughs> Lord, do you know what that person did or that person said or how this turned out? We don't have time for that. We just have to shake those things off just like Paul shook off the viper when he was on the island and he was bitten. He didn't let that thing traverse in his, in his skin and kill him. He just went about his business. Look at somebody and tell him, shake it off. Shake it off. We, we don't have time. And look, Paul knew it and he carried this in his spirit. These are eternal consequences. If we don't reach people, they're going to a real hell. And sometimes we just need a revelation that heaven is real, great, we're going, but hell is real. And you know what? You can't petition people out of it. Once they're there, they're there. And lo and behold, not only do we have people seemingly not care anymore in the body of Christ, we have preachers actually denying that hell exists. Can you imagine how hot their place in hell is going to be? It's a serious issue. You go preach the gospel, you're going to do what Paul said. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. When I was ordained, a bunch of elders in the faith came around me and prayed for me, laid hands on me, and they took my Bible. And at that moment, at that particular part of the ordination, they would they say, preach the word, and they would just ram that Bible at you like that as to emphasize you're supposed to be preaching the word of God. And yet people will say, well, my mind can't go there. I can't accept that. A loving God wouldn't do this, or blah, blah, blah. And they put themselves above the Word of God. And once you start doing that, you're capable of dismissing anything the Word says. Lifestyle issues, forget about the babies. You know, forget about purity and sexuality. Forget about the order of things. Forget about God as creator. Once you decide, I am judge over what the Scripture says, you're capable of believing anything or believing nothing based on what you do. So say it with me, I don't have all the time in the world. Hell is real. Hell is hot. Heaven is not. As horrible as hell is, it was never designed for human beings. But there's nowhere else for living, breathing, speaking spirits to go. There is no other option. You, there's no such thing as an annihilation of a spirit being. They're there. Once they are conceived, guess what? They're there. That little, so I believe the other day when that, when that court decision came back, there were 73, 74 million babies hanging over the rail of heaven going, yay, finally. <laughs> um, amen. 63 million officially, but you and I know those records don't mean anything. We're going to trust Planned Parenthood to give us accurate numbers? I don't think so. People who sell body parts to buy Lamborghinis, I'm not trusting their numbers. 
That's what they're really mad about. No more condos, no more houses, no more Lamborghinis off the death of the stem cells of the babies that we kill and then sell their parts off. It's like Dr. Carson said, if they're not human beings, then why are you taking their body parts and using them for transplantation? Don't try to argue with him. He'll put you under the table. I mean, he's already forgotten more than most of us will ever learn. And he's absolutely right. If they're not babies, then what are you doing taking their parts? The stuff doesn't make sense. That's why you just need to stick to the Word of God. Say it with me, I'm a Word person. Say it, I'm a Word person. I'm a Holy Ghost person. In Romans 13, 8, Paul was telling the church, uh, Owe no man anything except the continuing debt to love. He knew he was in debt. And he knew he would never, ever pay that off. And that's the way... He lived. So I could uh, go through things, and I, I could fill this board up with things I've been through since about 1987 in the ministry. Some of them you would just fall out of your chair laughing about. Some of them are my own humanity. Some of them are just, just belligerence and things I've dealt with through the years. But the point is, everybody has a board like that. Everybody has stories like that personal issues and hurts and disappointments and betrayals you don't have to be in the ministry to have that the point is not how who can have the you know the, the biggest board the point is are we going to allow the lord to cause us to have a sustained faith a victorious faith resilience in our heart to handle this why i don't have time to do that when i still owe a debt what does a person a smart person do if they owe something pay it, pay it. and that means go and do what Go to work and get the money and pay the debt off. You owe that. You, you signed the papers for that car. You signed the papers for that mortgage. I mean, you, you racked up that credit card. Now you, I owe, I owe. It's off to work I go. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> when it comes to the Paul, uh, the apostle, and it comes to us, guess what? I don't have time for that. I have a debt. I owe, I owe. It's off to ministry I go. <laughs> Come on, say it. I owe, I owe. I owe. I owe. It's off to ministry. I go. Now, how's that for a Facebook quote? Amen? Seriously. And I believe that drove him every day. He remembers when he was the worst nightmare for people like Stephen. They didn't do what they did to Stephen without his approval. He was in charge. You know, he was the one, the grand inquisitor. He was the one running people down. Taking papers with authority to arrest and then kill. They didn't stone Stephen without his approval. Could you imagine the baggage that he bore? And so when the truth came to him, he realized, I owe a big time. Maybe he felt like he owed more than others, but how many of all of us owe him big time? How many of you were in sin when he found you and delivered you? So we have to have that mindset. Say it, I owe, I owe. It's off to ministry. I go. And how many Christians, because they don't have a sustained you know, walk with God. They, they've never developed resilience. They're just sitting on the shelf till Jesus comes. I did my bit. I said this a few weeks ago, and I still believe it's today. There are people that serve you know, Miss B for years in ministry, and when Miss B died, they just quit. Now, guess what? She would be so disappointed to have people, after they were taught not to be people without resilience, to suddenly not doing ministry. I think Mark Randall will say the same thing. He found some of his kids not doing ministry, not witnessing, not praying, not living the life. He'd be disappointed to see that resilience is not there. 
But guess what? It's a choice for all of us. Yes. Say it with me. Everybody, Everybody has a horror board. Everybody. And that's why I'm not going to spend time telling mine. Now, if the Lord ever tells me to write it down, I will. He may say write it down and then burn. I don't know what he'll say. But everybody has a horror board. But guess what? The, the, the love debt should what? Override that thing. I don't have time to sit there and meditate on this or that. What happened? People are going to hell right here in Callaway County every single day. Hey, man, you think everybody here that dies is going to heaven? No. A lot of people die that work for that university. Paul could tell you that a lot of people there that are completely carnal, completely secular. They've intellectually dismissed the Lord and, and the things of God for whatever reason. And they live here and many of them are tenured and many of them what? They die here. I've had friends who have died here and they did have the chance to accept the Lord. And maybe they did because I wasn't in that conversation. Then there are people like Paul on campus. There are people like Dr. Rose, who was one of my mentors, and he was my graduate, to, uh, you know, I was a graduate assistant for him. Who the very first time I ever met him, um, you know, we just hit it off. And uh, then when we were in Hopkinsville and uh, we were about to go through the process of adopting Timothy, this man, I think he was the first person to write a check because that's what he believed. So don't tell me it's just about birthing babies. Yes. What did he want to do? He wanted to see that child live and be placed in a godly home because that's how he lives out and has lived out his values. So I'm thankful I ran into characters like that and he is a character, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> um, but you know, but they're not all, they're not all God lovers. So yes, people can move here and live here and work here and die here and not know the Lord. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, the people that could do something are sitting there meditating about their horror board every day. That's not what Paul did. He couldn't sit there and think about all the things that have been done to him or all the things he went through. You get the idea when you read this that Paul's like, I went through this, but I don't care. Yeah. I have a debt. Amen. Oh, no man, anything except the continuing debt to love. Look at somebody and say, I'm in debt. I'm in debt. I, owe, I, owe. I owe, I owe. So it's off the ministry. So it's off the ministry. <laughs> I go. Then he said this, just to encourage you further tonight. How many want to meet Joseph when you get the glory? Wouldn't he have an interesting story? <laughs> hey, Joseph, tell us about that hussy that hit on you. <laughs> I want to I hear all about that story, Joseph. And hey, Paul, tell me all about what happened to you. I want to know. Choir minds want to know. I'm sure that, that uh, how many know Joseph had a horror board? You see this? Yeah. You have to understand that it becomes not what you go through, it's the choice you make, having gone through that thing. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 4. This is just amazing. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. You see that? What's going on? God is building in me a spirit of what? Resilience. The outside has nothing to do with this. God is building in us resilience that we can do the things we're called to do even with things that are thrown at us. No matter what it is, we're more than conquerors, aren't we, church? Amen? And even during Kids Week, right? We're overcomers. We're still the overcomers club. Even though we're up here, guess what? We're in the upper room now, so we're really overcomers, hallelujah. Look what he said. 
Listen to these words. For our light and momentary troubles are light troubles. When you read in what he just said in the previous chapter that uh, uh, the reading from, does that sound like light to you? Well, apparently his perspective was that it was. And notice he says, and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. God is working in us. Here's the concept. Yes, we're going through things, but what's going on is God's actually in the process of glorifying us despite all that stuff. Where this is temporary, glorification is what? It's eternal. Amen. One day we will be like He is. We're in the process, as you've been taught, of glorification, the restoration of the glory of God in your life, His presence, power, and His goodness. He's taken away the fig leaf, hadn't He? And He's also taken away the skin and given you back your original clothing, which is the glory of of God. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. That horror board, guess what? Temporary. But what God is doing? Eternal. An eternal weight of glory. And so you could see that He had the knowledge that, you know what, if we spread the church, the body, we spread the, the, the Rome of Jesus, we spread the salvation of the Lord. He knew as he walked about and did his business, there was only so much time left for him. He knew the consequences were eternal. He knew he had a love debt. And he knew that all these challenges were just temporary. And write this down. What does that mean? Temporary means subject to change. Yep, it's true Paul's eyes were in jail, but it's also true what? The prison door is flung open. And instead of fleeing, what do they do? They lead people to Jesus. A massive revival takes place among the workers in that prison. You know, I, we don't even know all the details what happened to the other prisoners, but you kind of believe they were impacted as well by what happened. That's the point here. So again, at the uh, condo in Florida, it was a slow etching away, fretting away, destabilizing of the internal structure that caused the collapse. It didn't happen overnight. And what the devil would like for you and for me is to kind of ignore the warning signs. You know, a little sniping over here, a little belligerence over here, a little angry tit over here, you know, and over here we go over this person and get upset and kind of lambast them and give this person a, a, you know, a piece of our mind and give this person a little bit of our anger. And after a while you start to realize there's something going on on the inside that's not right. Now, we would say the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit, right, uh, is what is needed. But I believe it's more foundational than that. You and I have got to pay attention to the structure within. In other words, the infrastructure. The structure is only as sound as the structure within. That's where the, the focus needs to be. So there are some enemies to your resilience. Just like salt air and salt water is an enemy to the structure of a condo in Miami. There are things that are going to undermine the structure inside of you spiritually. So let's look at some of those. But first go with me to Proverbs 4. Say it, I O-I-O. It's off to ministry I go. You know, if you'll keep that in the forefront, that you're never going to pay that debt off, so you, so retirement's not an option. 
you break ourselves like that from that end, even a temptation just to sit down on the Lord even for a little while in uh, Proverbs 4 verse 23 my son pay attention to what I say listen closely to my words do not let them out of your sight keep them within your heart for life to those who find them and health to man's whole body above all else above all else what guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life or the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. But what is the, the major factor here that keeps your eyes in the right place, your feet on the right path? Keep your it's your heart. Yeah. It's guard your heart. So, What's going to happen when you go through things and a horror board develops in your life? That's when you have to guard your heart the most. When you're already sitting with 10, 12 feet of snow on your roof line, and here comes the weather report, right? You've got to learn how to deal with things in such a way that you have a resiliency about your faith and about your lifestyle with Him. And you don't implode. We just really don't need to see more Christians imploding right now. And oftentimes what they'll say is, well, the, the point of things they experienced is the reasons why they're walking away from the Christian faith. Imagine that. Imagine that. They have a horror board, and so that justifies what they're doing. Nothing justifies turning your back on Jesus Christ. Nothing. Don't use the church as an excuse. The church with all of its warts is 10,000 times better than any organization in the world. Amen. It's just that when you're in an organization, you think it's supposed to be perfect because everybody loves Jesus there. <laughs> By now you realize that people in church are just as flawed as people outside of the church. Yep. They're just forgiven. Amen. They're forgiven and flawed. Amen. Outside the church, they're just flawed. And that's a discipleship issue. Bring them into the church, wash them up, get them all clean, sit them on a pew. Now they're perfect. No more issues. Church should be perfect. Everybody should be perfect. I should never get my feelings hurt. No one should ever talk bad about you or ugly about you. Nobody should ever do anything that would offend you. You're dreaming. Or to quote the little boy from the kid, Disney's movie, the kid, you're dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. It's not going to happen. And so you either say, well, I'm mad because the Christians aren't perfect. And of course, that's a judgment because what you're saying is they're not perfect like me. Oh, there it is. Right? There it is. Or I'm going to use that stuff as an excuse. But the question is, did the Lord do anything to you? Is he the one that harmed you? Has he done anything to you but good? That's the basis of what you do in terms of resiliency. So there are things that will weaken your spiritual core over time, just like that infrastructure in that condo. Write this down, enemies of resilience. And they're, they're both spiritual, but they're also uh, you know, practical in terms of what you can do to help yourself out. Say it with me, I declare I, declare, I, have, I have a resilient spirit. A resilient spirit. I'm not going to implode. I have a love debt. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, this person's really imperfect. 
it, there's something really wrong with our spiritual formation as Christians if we arrive to the point where we can give ourselves grace and mercy and judge ourselves based on our intentions, but judge everybody else on what they did. That's highly immature way to live. If we're going to grow up, we're going to have to grow up in Him and understand that if uh, you and I get mercy for ourselves, then we have to be what? It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It doesn't say, Blessed are those who are judgmental because they're perfect. They've arrived. No. Number one, here's the first enemy. Inconsistent devotions. Inconsistent devotions. And you need to be having time with God every single day. A lot of Christians think, well, if I can't be there for five hours, then what's the point? You're missing the point. God's a supernatural being. Does that make sense? How long does it take you to fill your gas tank up? I didn't ask you how much it costs. I said, how long does it take? That hasn't changed. How long does it take to charge your e-vehicle up? I don't know, I don't have one, but all those people that have bought them are going to find out two things. One, America does not have the grid to support the cars, and number two, there's nothing you can do with the batteries once they go shot. Um, so Sarah's parents, uh, our in-laws, Jack and Frankie Bozinski, bought a hybrid, and they found out that the batteries went bad. It's going to cost $15,000 just to replace the batteries on a, on a hybrid. Um, they they got rid of the car, but uh, <laughs> but the point you know they yeah, but if you believe it if you believe it's true then it's got to be true right? Uh, France right now, who is a little bit ahead of the curve on the EV quote revolution, have thousands of vehicles in graveyards. They look like you know like parts places like down here on the South 121 where you just put junkers in there and people buy the parts off of it. Except the cars are in perfect condition. The batteries are bad and they can't afford to replace them. By the thousands, these cars are sitting there. And that's not even getting to the fact, and you brought this up, it's all your fault right now. I mean, you did, you did. <laughs> we won't even talk about the uh, child slave labor that's used to harness the minerals to produce these batteries. And yet, all these companies claim to be woke. Uh, don't even get me started. When I was in Tampa one time, Tampa had one of the first showrooms for Tesla. And if you want to buy Tesla, you buy Tesla. It's not my business. Does that make sense? Uh, you buy Tesla, buy whatever you want to do. I don't care. Uh, I'm just sorry, but when, when somebody comes by me in a, in a Ford Mustang, and it sounds like this, I am not going to be impressed. Ford, <laughs> Ford Mustangs like mine are supposed to speak in tongues when you turn them on. <laughs> not can you imagine two Mustangs drag racing, electric vehicles? No, no, no. When I turned mine on, 67 Cherry Red 351 Cleveland with glass back, the whole neighborhood knew that I was up. <laughs> That's the way a car should sound. <laughs> but I'm just, uh, you know. That's 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 a conviction thing. That's a personal thing. And is do we do you need to be good stewards? Yes. The problem is you don't uh, shut down an entire country or world while you're solving right, a problem. Right. You have to do things incrementally. You have to do things with some wisdom, and somehow they just don't get that. 
what I'll do is I'll find out what the previous president did, and then I will spend my first 100 days reversing everything he did just because he did it. Let me help you out here. That is the most immature leadership style you can have. Fred did this, so I'm going to do that. Not even wondering if the person happened to be right. He couldn't be right because he puts out mean tweets. He couldn't possibly be right. Well, the Lord and his direction for this man or anybody else, it's a politician. That's up to the Lord then. But I can tell you this. Without Mitch McConnell and, and President Trump, we would not have Roe v. Wade dismissed right now. That's fact. Uh, like people, hate them, doesn't make a difference. God has, has raised up donkeys before. Yes. Amen. <laughs> he certainly has. Cyrus and Isaiah's, you know, prophet. Cyrus was a total pagan. Cyrus is not the guy that if all the elders of the Jews gathered around in exile and they thought to themselves, we're going to raise up a leader who's going to help us be restored to our worship system and our faith and our land. They're not voting on Cyrus of Persia. God picks people that he wants to use for as long as he wants to use them. And the result is now millions of children's lives are going to be saved. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, sir? I said, that's pretty amazing. But before we got off on electric vehicles, um, but the principle is sound. Yeah, you got an electric vehicle. What is it? Yeah, I heard it driving up. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was telling you, uh, I was telling you and of course, you're talking about not just a few people. You're talking about uh, you know, millions of Americans trying to drive these on the present grid. The present grid is not there. It's just reality. So you have to fix things as you're going. But either way, I'm in this mall, and there's a, there's a Tesla showroom there, and they're all just ooh and ah, and they're looking at where all the batteries are. And, and I said, hmm, I said, that's great. I said, uh, electric car, yeah. They're, they're all talking about how no emissions and all how great that is. And I said, yeah. I said, I said, every one of those batteries down here powered with coal power. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they think somebody just, you know, flicked a switch and it, boom, there was power there. Where'd the power come from? Can I help you? Primarily right now from coal and nuclear. And you can't put up enough windmills. And they don't. And they're not biodegradable. They're not. <laughs> uh, all right, now. You go to this corner, and you go to this corner. Remember the dead of love now. <laughs> I, say it with me. I owe, I owe. So it's off to ministry I go. <laughs> it's all Jennifer's fault. <laughs> Not at all. Hey, if you can't laugh and have fun in church, you just need to go on home to be with Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Give your chair to somebody that will laugh and have a good time in the Lord's presence. Amen? <laughs> but at any rate, I, I kind of tormented them, and they weren't thrilled with me at all, you know, but I was having a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. But here's the deal. Um, we think that i got to be, and it's fine. You're called to do what you're called to do. Uh, Martin Luther felt called four hours a day and he said I can't do anything unless I spend that time with the Lord but I'm telling you the 15 to 20 to 30 minutes in prayer in a devotion in the word of God will supernaturally charge you 
even for that amount of time that you had. You're going to have more wisdom. You're going to have more love. You're going to have more fruit. And one of the biggest mistakes we make as a church is implying that if that person can't spend, you know, five hours a day, then what's the point? The point is if you can fill up your gas tank in, what, three or four minutes? Seven. And then believe God to pay for it? <laughs> but how long does it take to charge your car? Because I know... Uh, Regular. Overnight for about a third. About a third overnight. Okay. If Ford's come out with a, a patenting system, it's going to charge things really, really fast. But you get my point that, that you're charging the presence of God to think, oh, it's going to take days for me to, to sustain my spirit, to have resilience. And that's just not the case. I promise you this. You do 15, 20 minutes a day. Do that for a month or two, and you will feel like a different person. So we don't need to be implying as leaders that, hey, hours and hours and hours, that'll do it. Now, God's going to build you up and develop you. And there'll be times where you, send, you spend uh, protracted times in His presence, and you should follow Him on that. And you should do what He wants you to do. Uh, one of my heroes of faith, I mentioned him a few weeks ago, Brother Trask, who was our general superintendent for years. He said that an evangelist came to him, and he was pastoring, I believe, in Minnesota at the time. And he said, young man, he was young. He said, he said ask God to put you on, on a schedule for prayer and Bible reading. Ask him, not some person to do Ask God to put you on a schedule. And so he took him at his word. And uh, he went to pull the Lord and said, uh, Lord, I'm asking you to put me on a schedule. And he did. And his time was about five o'clock in the morning. And for, you know, he's probably now in his 80s, he's probably for 67 years, you know, been on a schedule. At five o'clock, that was the time for him. That doesn't mean you go do what Brother Trask did. You do what God Tells you to, I'm just trying to tell you that it's better for you to spend 15, 20 minutes every day than five hours every three or four weeks. Does that make sense? 15, 20 minutes every day. You're charging yourself back up. It's supernatural. I can't even explain to you what God can deposit and put in you if you'll do that. Say it with me. I have a live wire in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, I'm not going to try to talk you out of protracted times. I'm just simply saying, lose the mentality that if I can't do it three hours, what's the point? Yeah. Number two, bitterness is an enemy of resilience. Bitterness, where time with God will charge you, bitterness will drain you. It will exhaust you. The time it takes to keep yourself in a place of bitterness and unforgiveness, whatever it is, it's just better for you to let things go. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in love. Why should I forgive? Because you have a debt of love. Anybody perfect in here? Raise your hand. Get your autograph before the night's up. It's exhausting. It is exhausting playing that garbage over and over and over again in your head. It is exhausting holding the fence towards people. And not just that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we're not to allow a bitter root spring up because it will defile many. It never just stays with you. As hard as we try to keep our mouths shut and our attitudes right, sooner or later, guess what? It's going to come out and you're going to defile somebody. Now write this down in big bold letters. If I had a marker tonight, I'd write it on there right above the ice cream. <laughs> Bitterness disqualifies. That's what it means. A root of bitterness springing up, defiling. It disqualifies people from God's best. You just don't want any part of it. 
Say, but you don't know what's on my board. Well, listen, you don't know what's on my board. Amen. That's right. But you know what should be happening to that board? Crazy. Talking about a horror board, what should we be doing with the daily? Crazy. Need to erase it from our mind and our hearts. We're not going to necessarily forget something mentally, but we can what? We can forgive. And if we don't, it just gets you know fuller and fuller and fuller. We're kidding ourselves if we think that we're qualified for God's best and that we're not also causing other people to be disqualified because we're passing on that offense. You pass on the spirit you have. I don't care who you are. The good news is if you and I will cultivate and develop a spirit of resiliency, guess what we're going to influence people with? They're going to say, hey, you know, uh, you know, I've been watching that Steve. I've been watching Charlie. You know, I've been watching Barbie. Boy, they've been through some things. But boy, look at their resilience. I want to be like that when I grow up. When I get to be Charlie's age, I want to be just like that. <laughs> I only, only pick and tease on the people I really like. So. <laughs> don't, don't put it on your board, Charlie. Don't put that on your board. <laughs> Do you let it go? Amen. Praise the Lord. It's just exhausting. It will disqualify you, but what's going to happen is you're going to pass this on to other people. And I've watched this. Nobody ever gets bitter or offended in the Christian circle without taking somebody else down with them. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. It's a myth. And guess who's responsible if somebody else loses their resiliency because of you? No, well, that's up to them. No, you and I are responsible for the things that we do. And we should be inspiring people to love God and love people. It's really that simple. Amen. Amen. Walking in the truth. Being work people. Being people that's not perfect, but when we blow it, we repent. Um, we do something wrong, we repent. And when somebody does something wrong, you know, in our eyes, it affects us. You know, we walk in forgiveness. Because, again, time in His Word and in presence will charge you. Say it with me. Supercharge me. Supercharge. I've watched this through the years. And, you know, things like prayer... Things like praying in the Holy Ghost, I mentioned before, nothing will charge you up like praying in the Holy Ghost. Uh, I walked up the stairs, and our sister was playing the tape of Brother Hagen. I just got so tickled. And he was doing what? Doing what he did most of the time, praying in tongues. Amen? If you come here during the day, you hear Barb praying in tongues. I say, why? Because our church staff needs it, that's why. <laughs> She's over there interceding, and, and the peace of God is there, and she doesn't care if the UPS guy comes in or not. He's on our territory. We have the sweetest mail carrier. She comes in. She's got all kinds of packages all the time because there's something that, uh, guess what? Barb happens to be in the lobby. You say, why should she do that? Because that's what we've asked her to do. That's because the, the prompting of the Holy Ghost is for her to do her, her, her chore, her, her labor, whatever, unto the Lord, but also be an intercessor as she does that. Uh, Brother Hagen just knew that. He understood how supercharged you would get from praying the Spirit. But your devotional time, say it with me, make it consistent. It is better to have a short period, you know, period every single day than to feel guilty and then pour it on for several hours and then skip several weeks. Is that right? You want your vehicle to work one day every month or every day? So what do you do every day? I charge it. You charge it. There you go. So you're going to charge it up. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I'm going to have some fun over this whole EV thing before it's done. Amen. I <laughs> yes, I am. Praise the Lord. Number three, this is important too. Number three is poor self-care. 
Don't ever apologize for taking care of yourself. Amen. Ever. Amen. It's good. It means diet. It means exercise. It means recreation. It means vacation. Nobody can go a thousand miles an hour with the hair on fire every day without doing something for yourself. And there are people that, uh, that feel like if I'm not running myself in the ground, then I'm not serving God right. No, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself unable to complete your journey because you didn't take care of yourself, thinking that was the way that was normal. Uh, Creflo Dollar has a good uh, you know, pastoral friend in, in Atlanta, in the surrounding area, and he told Creflo, he goes, every single year I go to the hospital for three weeks, it gives me a good break for ministry. It's like, can you think of a better place to go than in the hospital because you run yourself into the ground? Um, whatever charges you, you know, for some people it's, it's nature, some people it's the ocean, some people it's the mountains, whatever it is, um, take care of yourself. Jesus said in Mark 6, 31 to his disciples, he said, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And what did he say? And get some rest. Yeah. Now, the other places where he's challenged them to, to pray and seek my face, the kind of thing Matthew 26 talks about praying for one hour. He, he challenged them, couldn't you pray for an hour? But the context here is you're going to get war out here. You're not going to make it. You guys are going to be toast before I even leave the planet. Come away by yourselves and get some rest. Um, you know, some of y'all just need to learn how to say no. Yeah. Yep. I'll offend somebody if I tell them I can't do that or if I say no. Or here's what we have to do is, is, is modern people. You know, we have to give an excuse for it. So somebody says, hey, would you do this for me? Say uh, no. Then there's an awkward silence waiting for you to give them a reason you can't. You don't owe them a reason. Amen. You owe them a Holy Ghost direction. Amen. Guilt. That's exactly right. You know, it's like this Australian cartoon, Bluey. There's one particular, you know, episode. You say, how would you possibly know this? Because she watches it over and over and over and over again. And then when it goes off, she picks up the remote. Two years old and marches over to me and says, Bluey. She knows that word. And so, yeah, Pop-Pop does it. Pop-Pop's completely and totally enamored with her. So I click it on, and it's on. Uh, and, of course, Kelly's got most of them saved anyway, something DVR, and then there's, of course, all these other channels. And there's this one scene where, uh, you know, the one, one girl's name is Bingo, and then the other girl's name is Bluey. And, uh, you know, Bingo keeps acquiescing what everybody else wants. And finally, he's, he's upset, and he's kind of down. His, his mom says, you know, this, this sometimes... Um, your outward voice say one thing when your inward voice is saying something else. Oh, that's a good word. And, uh, you know, Bingo's like, my, your mom gets me. <laughs> um, and we, you do that, don't you? Your inward voice is saying, I don't need to do this. But you don't hurt somebody's feelings, don't want to offend them. Um, you'll run yourself in the ground trying not to offend. You'll offend yourself trying to avoid offending yeah, other people. Say it with long life. long life. Say it with long life. With long God will satisfy me. And then show me His salvation. It's, it's really not a joke. And I know there are times where it's hard to get away. It's hard to do that. But whatever works for you. How many have figured out by now where you feel recharged? Yeah. Amen. There's rare birds that don't feel recharged anywhere. And when I do go out of town, uh, you forget about you know being uh, relaxed after a day or two. It takes me several days before I even start to feel 
relax. And every time I do, um, and again, the seasons of life make it sometimes more difficult than others, all of a sudden all the clutter goes away. And I, it's not, I don't think it really is the beach or the mountains. It's just two of my favorite places. But all of a sudden, uh, if there's any blockage or seems at all in hearing from God, it's gone. I never hear clear when I'm near nature or near the ocean. Um, and that's just something that works, you know, in, in my particular life. Now, um, that for you may be something else altogether different. But you need to find what causes you to be recharged and restored and be as disciplined about that as you would about other areas of your spiritual life. Because we want you around. Amen? Turn to somebody and say, you got things to do? Places to go? People to see? People to win? I got to love that. Your mom said, I owe, I owe. It's off the ministry. I go. But my point is, even the disciples pulled off. And if they needed it, and they had Jesus physically present with them, guess what? And there's an implication, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he also needed to do what? The humanity also required rest. Did he not sleep? Yes. Did he not eat? Yes. Uh, he's fully God, fully man. But this is a tremendous scripture in Mark for you to remember. There are times you just need to pull off and just chill your mind turn your mind off absolutely what's that mark 6 31 number four another enemy of resilience real quickly is pride scripture says take heed when you stand least you what least to fall the person says it never happened to me uh, you're setting yourself up for a mistake um, it can happen to you so that doesn't mean getting the fear about it, it just means every day be building a resilient spirit on the inside of you and say, you know what, there's an enemy out there, there are circumstances out there, there are traps out there, there are intrigues out there, and I want to be ready for that. Pride goes before what? Isn't it interesting that uh, the, the LGBTQ lobby has and, and activists have used the rainbow as their signature, which belongs to God post-judgment? Yeah. See that? How much, how blasphemous can you get, first of all? But every event, whether it's a baseball game, a football game, you know, a parade, it's called what? A pride event. It's almost like, you know, if I can reach up to God and poke him in the eye, I will. Well, guess what? It doesn't change anything. Pride goes before what? And when you advertise your pride. That's right. To quote Star Wars and Count Dooku, twice the pride, twice the fall. Young Anakin. It's always Anakin. <laughs> or Darth, depending on which one I call him. Yeah. The gospel according to Darth. <laughs> Say it, pride. And then last tonight, an unguarded mind. An unguarded mind. Philippians tells us that we give supplication with thanksgiving. What happens when we do that? Turn over there, the flippies, just to put your eyes on it. Aren't you glad you're Bible people? Part of a crowd that still honors the Word of God.
just because you heard something or thought something doesn't mean it's your thought. Um, I find that no matter how old you are in the Lord, you are still susceptible to the thoughts of the enemy. And you've got to be prepared to cast these things, those things down and do it quickly. Um, but in uh, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness. Four. Chapter 4, I'm sorry. Verse 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. will do what? Will guard. The Greek indicates garrison, like a fortress, your heart and your mind. The process of the disciplines, the process of, of walking with God, um, the process of learning to say, okay, here's a thought that's not of God, whether it's that person doesn't like you because they didn't shake their hand or nobody cares about you or nobody really wants to be involved with you or nobody receives from your ministry or blah, 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 whatever it is. You've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to measure that against the Word of God from what I know. And things that are wrong, I'm going to cast them down according to 2 Corinthians 10. But in this context, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to the Lord with prayer and thanksgiving, supplication, and present my request. And what can I expect? God to garrison my heart and my mind. And you can't do it for me, and I can't do it for you. But there are lies out there. There's deception out there. And you say, well, when I reach a certain age of spirituality or a certain development level, there, you know, this is going to stop. It's never going to stop. No. Amen. man came to Brother Hagin one time and said, you know, would you, would you pray for me that I'm never tempted again? <laughs> and uh, he said, okay. And he started to pray for him. His prayer went something like this. Lord, kill Brother Bob. Just kill him right here. Um, in, and, uh, you know, and other great men of God like Jerry Seville have his own stories about stuff like that. Yeah, I'll pray that way for you as well. Uh, you just... Um, in this life, you're going to be subject to things, and it's up to you to stay on your toes. And it only takes one word from God to change your life forever. Amen. But brothers and sisters, it only takes one word from the devil to do the same thing. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's maybe you know a lie and trying to feed your ego or feed your druthers or feed your desires or your flesh, and you're running with it. Or it's a lie about somebody else, or it's a lie about your purpose. I mean, he's not going to stop lying just like God's never going to stop being good to you, no. the devil's not going to stop lying to you. Right. Now, there'll be a day where he has no access to you. Uh, how many understand Jesus in his glorified state right now? The devil doesn't even bother. There's going to be a day where there's, you can't touch these people. They're in a glorified, totally mind, body, emotion, will, totally glorified state. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get that opportunity. But uh, where we are right now, he's active. And his field soldiers are active. Yeah. And they're constantly lying to you. And what you have to do is say, you know what, That's, that sounds like something that somebody in the natural mind or the carnal mind would believe or receive. But it violates the Word of God. One of the dangers of people walking away from the Word of God right now, they don't know when a lie comes at them. I mean, simple things like creation. Human sexuality. About 30 years ago in the APA, if you came to a doctor and said, well, I have a same-sex attraction, they would have diagnosed you with a mental disorder. Yes, they would. Yeah. Amen. If you walked in the other day and said, my pronouns are they and them, 
they would diagnose you with multiple personality disorder. But today, AMA and the APA fight for people's right to walk in their disorder. That's where we are today. And watch this. Voices of society does not change the Word of God. Collaboration and, and unity of the masses on any issue does not change God's perspective. And it should not change yours. If you stand completely alone in a family, in a community, wherever you are, you stand alone on the Word of God. It will sustain you. And I'll give you an example. Everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah are on the same page. Even Lot, who is, who is clearly heterosexual, as apparently were his daughters, accepted this as the norm in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see this? In fact, we know that he was an elder in the city gates. We know that he was not only consenting to live there, he was part of the structure of power. You see this? Problem is, no matter all the voices chiming in and saying, pry this and pry that, and aren't we great? This is a wonderful place to live. It did not change God's perspective or the consequences of it. And that's why you can't join yourself to somebody because it looks like the crowd is winning, so I'll join them. Now, write this down. We don't condemn but we don't condone. That's, right. That's who we are. It's not enough to them that we don't condemn. They absolutely demand that we condone, and we can't do it. And because we don't condone, watch, we're not called haters in hate speech, those of us that preach, because of condemnation. They're calling us haters because we won't condone. And we can't do it. We can't do it without, what, violating the Word of God? Violating what the Word says? Violating the trust He has given us to preach what? The Word. In other words, no matter how many voices say something is right, God's Word's never going to change. Right? Everybody could say, suddenly stealing your neighbor's car is a great way to live. Everybody share everybody's car. It's a wonderful thing to do. Nobody's ever going to have Grand Theft Auto again. What's the Bible still going to say? Thou shalt not steal. Human sexuality is not a special category that God's Word doesn't touch. God's Word is filled with the standard yeah. of purity. And the purpose that He gave for sexuality was primarily to produce godly offspring. Yeah. Amen? That's where the foundation is and strand, you know, stems from there. It's just an illustration. You could take anything. Uh, there's a reason why you and I don't like the, the thought of a baby being ripped out of a womb because we're all misogynists. Do you know there are just as many conservative women as men that believe that it's murder? Huh? Just this week, we, we heard the refrain. A bunch of old white men can't tell us what to do with our bodies. Well, wait a minute. It was nine old men in 1973 that told you you could. But it was okay then. And in the 60s, when you pushed out prayer and Bible reading from the schools, it wasn't the majority. It was a small vocal minority. Not even a sliver of our society wanted that. But the court said what? The court is not a democracy. It's supposed to what? It's supposed to rule by what the Constitution says and what it meant to the original framers and writers. It's not a living document. Well, that's your belief. Yeah, it is my belief, and it served us well. You wonder why? Because it's built upon the principles of the Word of God. That's why it's worked. Does that make sense? 
Um, so you, you see um, an assault, but you and I can't say, well, all these people, maybe they know something I don't because they're all, they're all for life. Maybe they're wrong. They're not wrong, and the science has proven that we're right. And that baby reaches a very, very tender age. Even a few weeks now, we know that baby can actually feel. It's, uh, its neural centers are working. The body parts are sending signals to the brain. And that child, under, under, under ultrasound, it's really amazing to see these things and, and actually be recorded. But you'll see a baby move from an instrument yeah. inserted into the amniotic sac. The baby will actually move. Now, if there is no sensation, why is the baby moving from a potential threat? The girl that uh, starred, uh, that was the basis of this movie that came out, yeah. she worked in an abortion mill. Uh, I can't remember what her name is. But uh, that's what threw her. She actually perceived these things going on, the baby actually fighting to stay alive inside the womb. And it just threw her for a loop. Why are we, though, pro-life? Why is there a consistent message across the majority of the body of Christ regardless of the denomination? Because we know what the Word says. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We read about Jeremiah and how Paul is possessing his womb. We talk about the first person to recognize Jesus, the Messiah, was inside the womb. Yes. Spirit-filled where? If it's not really human being, it can't be spirit-filled. Spirit-filling is, is reserved for human beings. Uh, I'll let you fill out the whole th figure out the whole theology of being born again in the womb. Amen? That's for you and the Lord to figure out. All I can tell you is that uh, that's why we don't move with what society says. Because everybody says abortion is okay, it doesn't change anything. Right? So what we want to see is uh, we want to see you get pumped up every single day. Stay plugged in. Amen? Say it with me. Devotional life. Every day. Say it every day. Walking with God. Staying charged. Why? Because implosion doesn't happen overnight. Amen? Let's give him a hand clap if you can receive that tonight. <laughs>